Good morning again. Uh, can I get you please to turn with me to Psalm 46? Psalm 46, our psalm for today. And let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can gather together uh, around your word, uh, even though it's electronically. Uh, and we pray that uh, your spirit uh, would speak to us uh, through your word this morning. And we pray that he will strengthen me to preach your word rightly uh, and that uh, he would work in each one of our hearts, uh, enabling us to, to, to follow Jesus and to trust him uh, and to find our security in him. Uh, so we commit this time to you, asking you to work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, security is indeed a big issue uh, in our lives today, isn't it? Uh, there are many people feeling terribly insecure uh, in light of what's happening all over the world. Uh, across our planet, people are being infected by the COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, many are in isolation, some are dying, uh, and nobody knows what will happen next. Many governments around the world didn't want to face this issue and ignored it for too long. Others took action early. In Malaysia, we as a nation are working really hard to implement social distancing to, to slow the spread of the virus, to try to prevent our healthcare system from being overwhelmed. Please do cooperate with the authorities in this by staying home unless you're exempted. It's part of loving our neighbor. But we don't know whether we will be successful. We don't know if the, if the curve can be flattened or, or the virus contained. And the extent of the economic impact of this pandemic, that too has yet to be seen. Things we took for granted just a week and a half ago are now up for question. Our futures don't look as certain as they did. And the things we look to for security suddenly don't seem so secure anymore. In times like that, it's worth asking the question, where is true security to be found? To begin to answer that question, we're looking today at this psalm. Uh, psalm is a song, it's part of the Bible. Uh, psalm 46 was written hundreds of years before Christ by people in Jerusalem. And the people in Jerusalem who wrote the psalm knew that their city was secure. Not because it had a great army, but because it had a great God. A God who loved them and protected them, who kept them safe from danger, who helped them when they were in need, in accordance with the special promises or covenant that he had made with them. And so they joyfully proclaimed in verse 1 of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In fact, this whole psalm is about the security that they had in him. We see the theme recurring uh, in verse 7. And again in verse 11, uh, both of them say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts means the Yahweh of armies. The God, the mighty, mighty, mighty God. And the, Jacob was their ancestor. And God was their fortress, the safe place. They knew their all-powerful God had promised to defend them. And so they were perfectly secure. And they didn't need to fear, even in the worst of disasters. And so they say in verse 2, We will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now that's picture language, isn't it? Uh, and the picture is of an earthquake so drastic that the topography of the earth is not the same anymore. The mountains collapse into the sea. Uh, and the waters of the sea itself, uh, in verse 3, they roar and foam. Right? They froth up like they're fermenting. They're bubbling up as if they're, they're boiling in rage. And those solid mountains, unmovable, stable mountains. That, well, verse 3, it says... 
those mountains tremble at its swelling. It's like the mountains are scared of the sea because the sea is surging up to devour them. Now, hold that picture of the surging water in your mind's eye. This is the worst catastrophe that God's people can imagine, right? Because it seems to undo creation. I remember at creation, God separated the land from the waters. But here, the mountains are collapsing to the sea, and the sea is surging up to the mountains. So it's a picture like reversal of creation. It's meant to remind us of the, the end of the world. And yet God's people say, we will not fear. God is our strength and refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. Uh, in a few minutes, we will discover the threat to ancient Israel that, uh, that is being poetically um, spoken of in this picture. But before we do that, let's think about our own situation. Uh, as we speak, the world is facing this terrible disaster in the form of the virus. And yet, in the midst of this disaster, we too can share the same kind of security of God's people. But to be able to reach that point, we must face another realization that we may not want to face and mustn't ignore though for too long. And that is the realization that whatever troubles that we face now are actually small compared to the troubles of the future. Because the Bible does warn us that there will be a time when creation really is undone. Uh, the end of the world really is coming. Sometimes it's called the day of judgment. It's a time when, when God brings history to a close and judges the world. It, it is a disaster that will far outweigh the threat of coronavirus. And yet, if we are God's people, we do not need to fear that day. Because Jesus, the judge on that day, is the very one who died on the cross to take the punishment of our sins. And if we trust in Jesus, his death pays for us. His perfect righteousness is counted as ours. And those who belong to him, those who are in him, will be perfectly safe in that disaster. He will be our place of refuge and security on that day. And so we need not fear. But going back to the sun, remember the picture of the roaring, foaming, threatening water? Well, in your mind's eye, zoom in on that water real close, and then like in the movies, zoom out again, and this time it's a different scene. The raging floods are silenced, the, the roar and the froth are gone. Actually, the water's just gently and peacefully streaming in a beautiful, relaxing river. And this just reminds us of the Garden of Eden. But as you look up from that river, you see you're in a city, ancient Jerusalem, God's city, where he dwells in his temple, where he rules through his king. This is the scene of the next part of the psalm. In verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This city is a safe city. Whatever's going on outside, whatever catastrophe and chaos the world faces, this city is serene. Outside there, the mountains may be poetically falling into the sea, but verse 5 assures us that God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Outside there, the, the nations, in verse 6, rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. But the city is safe. And the people, in verse 7, rejoice. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Well, what kind of thing might have been going on in ancient Jerusalem uh, at the time of the psalm? What was a threat that they were sure God would rescue them from? Well, uh, in verse 5, dawn there, morning dawns. Well, dawn was a time when most of the military attacks took place. So maybe that's a hint that disaster is a military one. Uh, and notice in verse 6 how the, the uh, melting of the earth uh, is equated with the rage of the nations and the tottering of the kingdoms. Uh, which helps us think that maybe that those pictures, the mountain and sea earlier, uh, pictures of the end of the world, was at least in the first instance a, a poetic picture of the rise and fall of empires. Uh, and look at verse 6 again. Uh, we see all this happens when what happens? When he utters his voice. God speaks. Remember, God just had to speak and the whole world was created. He just has to speak and empires crumble. He, he's almighty God who rules the world. And God's people were confident that as long as he was with them, they were secure. Uh, we don't know the exact incident of Israel's history that prompted the writing of this psalm, but I can tell you one time when it was really, really apt. Uh, by that time, God's people, Israel, had been divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which retained the name Israel, strayed from God. They got caught up in idolatry. Uh, in 722 BC, God sent the Assyrian army. They destroyed Israel. They scattered her people in exile. And then that army turned on Judah, the southern kingdom. It camped outside her walls and, and laid siege to Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah of Judah, a godly man, cried out to the Lord. And in one night, God slaughtered 185,000 men of the Assyrian camp that were besieging the city. Just like that. And the rest of the Assyrian army just turned around and went home. God was with his people, just like the psalm says and the city didn't fall. Though the sad thing is Jerusalem herself eventually won it from God and became a center of idolatry. And God decided to destroy the city as he warned them. Uh, that too was, was part of his covenant. People thought it wouldn't happen because the temple was in Jerusalem. Uh, but the prophet Ezekiel saw the cloud of God's presence leaving the temple and departing the city. Because you see, the psalm is not saying the city itself is a strength and refuge of Israel. It's not the temple building there that would save them. It was God who dwelt therein. Security was found in God's city because security is found in God. And when God left, there was no defense. But that would be a problem for later. At the time of the psalm, that's not an issue. God dwelt with his people in the temple. He defended his city and they were secure. So that's all well and good. God had a covenant with the people of Israel. How does that connect with us? Well, when we come to the New Testament, we realize that the old city of Jerusalem, Zion, and the hill on which it's built, was appointed to something far better. For God dwells with his people, not in a temple, in an earthly city, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came to earth, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said of the old temple, destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it up again. And he was talking of the temple of his body. Jesus is the true temple, and like the temple, Jesus dwells in a city. Not the earthly city of Jerusalem, but the real city that Jerusalem was pointing to. Uh, come with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 22 to 24, uh, where we read about this city. The writer of the Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, 
and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This Jerusalem that is above, this heavenly Jerusalem, uh, that is the real city uh, of which the city uh, in the psalm was just a shadow. If we belong to Christ, we belong to that city. All who belong to Jesus belong to that city. We can't see the city now except by faith. Uh, We are spiritually raised with Christ and seated with him in that city. But that city is our home. And that is the home of all who truly belong to Christ, right down through the ages, living and departed. No one can threaten that city. No virus can touch it. Whether we live or die on earth, we are still part of that heavenly city. And so whatever happens, we too are secure in that city. Going back to the psalm, though, we've got God dwelling in his city with his people, and therefore they're secure. But what about those outside the city? What about those who, who fight against God and threaten the city? Well, we stand on the walls of the ancient city and we look out over the rest of the world and discover uh, in verse 8 that the same God who protects his people has brought catastrophe on the nations. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, that picture of the mountains and the water and the disaster, which was picturing at least initially military disaster, well, that was judgment on the nations. That was, that was actually from him. Uh, verse 9 says, He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. And how? He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, peace comes through his judgment on the nations. God judges his enemies and rescues his people. Uh, and so the psalm ends with a word of warning for the nations and a word of encouragement for his people. The warning is in verse 10, where God himself in his own voice speaks to the nations and pleads with them, be still. In other words, stop what you're doing, cease your rebellion, surrender, be still, and know that I am God. You are not God. Your idols are not God. I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He's calling them to surrender to him before that judgment comes. Well, that was the warning. What about the encouragement? Well, that's the joyful song of God's people who have escaped judgment and up in the city. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, we've seen what God did to the Assyrians who besieged his city in the ancient times. But there's bigger warning and bigger encouragement here for us as well. Because every disaster we read about in the Bible, and every disaster we face in our world, even our present turmoil, actually stands to us as a warning of the last one. And we've already seen that the time is coming, and it's only a matter of time, and that God will judge the world on the last day. Perfect justice will be done. That's a good thing. 
But it's also a dreadful thing because justice not only means I will pay for not treating you properly, it also means I will pay for not treating God properly. And if God is of infinite worth, then not treating him properly is of infinite offense and the just punishment for that would never be extinguished. But the good news, the very, very good news, is that God loves us and doesn't want to punish us. That's why Jesus came to die for us. On the cross, he died to take the judgment for us. He bore our punishment in our place so that, so that he could satisfy God's justice and yet we can be forgiven. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead as the king of God's people. And God promises that those who receive him as their king, who trust in him to save them, they will be safe in his city when the last judgment comes. And so, my friends, if you are not yet following Jesus, God commands you, indeed, he pleads with you, be still, submit to me, surrender. Know that I am God. Trust in my son. Be part of my city where you can be totally secure. Not just now, but, but on the day of judgment. And after the day of judgment, the city, which, which we don't see now, will be seen in all its glory. And, and we've got a picture of that in our New Testament reading from Revelation 21. Uh, have a look with me at Revelation 21. From verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. No more threat, no more surging, no more destruction. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. If you love God, you will love being in this city. For that is the place where we will be with him, enjoying his presence forever, together with all his people, basking in his goodness, loving him, serving him, worshipping him, relating to him rightly as our God, unhindered by sin, together with all his people. For in that city, Sin and all its consequences will be gone forever. The consequences of sin, in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is our city. That is our future. We are safe in that city. And so, friends, no matter what happens, we can live in this world with a deep sense of security. We can have confidence as we face the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. Or we can have confidence as we face any other disaster or catastrophe in our lives. Let me be perfectly candid. Some of us who are meeting online today may get sick in the next few weeks. All of us will face troubles, challenges and uncertainty. And unless the Lord come first, all of us will eventually face death and the death of those we love, whether it be soon, in this outbreak, or in the years to come. But God is our strength and refuge. He is with us in the midst of our troubles. He promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He will see us through. 
things will be okay in the end. We can face tough times here with confidence because we know that all this is temporary and our eternal future is secure. We can afford to hang loose a bit with the things of this world, not to get too caught up with them or too worried about losing them because, because our real home is in the city. We can afford to make sacrifices now and give up some things that other people chase to feel secure because our real treasure is in the city. We can afford to suffer now because the glory we seek is in that city. For no matter what happens here on earth, no matter what we go through in our lives, no matter what illness we face or griefs we endure, we are part of God's eternal city. God is with us, we are secure, and we will find our joy in Him and in His city forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your grace uh, you have made us uh, and all who trust in Jesus a part of your eternal city. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose against us so we can, we can be there. We pray that you help us to trust in your promises and to live in this world with confidence as people of your city. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.